Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Anger gets a bad rap in our culture. Like if I was to sit with you and ask you, are you an angry person? You would want to say no, because you would want that to be true because you think that it's preferable, but it's not true. You are an angry person. And it's actually not preferable. In fact, I'm gonna state right up front today that one of my goals for this sermon is by the end of it, I would like to make you mad. <laughs> my wife, Karina, will tell you it's one of my primary gifts, actually. I'm very good at it. I wanna start off today by telling you a story that I told to a group of our home team three weeks ago. I was 23 years old when I started teaching high school. I took a job at a small private school in town because I knew that it was where I was supposed to be. Different challenges come with teaching at different sizes of schools. One of the challenges that comes with teaching at a very small school is that you get no repeat classes. Like if you were a math teacher at a large high school, you might teach four blocks of math 11 and three blocks of math 12. So in a sense, what you would do is you would prepare two lesson plans and just teach them over and over and over again. At a small school, it doesn't work that way. I remember in my first year, there was eight blocks in the timetable. I taught eight different classes. English eight, English 10, English 11, social studies nine, social studies 11, senior girls PE, senior boys PE, and photography, which is kind of funny, but I'll save that story for another day. Mike Manis as a photography teacher. Anyways, there was a lot to learn. I woke up every morning between 3 and 3.30. I got to school as fast as I could. I felt like I was learning the stuff just in time to teach it, you know? And what I realized back then, and I realized looking back now, is that when you get in a stressful season of your life, when you get extremely busy, it can become very easy to miss the point. Like at that time, it could have been easy for me to come to the conclusion that the main point of me being at that little school was to do a great lesson plan on the Lord of the Flies or to convince people that when Napoleon invaded Russia, it led to his demise or to inspire kids to do a great job on the 12-minute run or to tell them about depth of field A and depth of field B as great methods of photographic perspective. That would be missing the point. I want to suggest to you that it's not just first-year teachers either. When any of us get into a stressful situation, when any of us get into a place where we're extremely busy, it can be really easy to miss the point. And I want to suggest to you that that's heartbreaking. It's tragic. I began to learn that on my very first day of teaching. I remember going into that first day, I was pretty nervous. I was wondering, you know what, will I know my stuff? Will my lesson plans work? Will the kids like me? What's it gonna be like to be a teacher? So I went through the first day and I'm just a couple minutes from the end of the day. The last block of that day for me was English 8. And I remember looking back at the day and I thought, man, it went well. I did know my stuff. The lesson plans did actually work. The kids seemed to like me and honestly, it was so much fun. And in fact, not long after that, I remember calling my dad one day and saying, I don't I can't believe I get paid to do this. Didn't get paid much, mind you, but I got paid. 
So the bell rings to end the day, to end English 8. I said something to the kids like, hey, we'll see you guys tomorrow. And I sat down behind my desk in my chair. I still couldn't believe that I was a teacher with a chair and a desk, you know. I kind of savored the moment, looking back at that day one. Felt a sense of accomplishment, I guess, gratitude, exhaustion. And I looked up and I noticed that not every student had left. Two young men still sat there, Matt and Jared, best buddies, I could tell already. And they just sat in their desks and they're looking at me and they're, they're smiling. And I'm feeling really awkward. I'm smiling back, but I'm like, I don't have a lesson plan for this. Like the day is over, what is happening right now? You're still here, it's time to go. And so I said something to them like, man, you guys take care, have a great night, you know? They're like, you too, Mr. Manis. And I still couldn't believe that people called me Mr. Manis. And they're smiling and I'm smiling and I'm like, why aren't you leaving? <laughs> so I said something like, man, one day down, only 194 more days of grade eight, am I right? Take it easy. <laughs> so finally they stood up. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. But instead of walking for the door, they walked from my desk. And they sat down right in front of it. And for the next hour, they asked me questions about my life and they told me stories about theirs. And every single day that entire year, Matt and Jared did their very best to find me wherever I was at the end of school. And we hung out. Sometimes they brought friends and sometimes it was just them. But over the next days, over the next weeks, I, I found some things out about Matt and Jared. I found out that Jared never knew his dad. That for Jared, when he was just a wee little kid, his dad left. He couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. And while Jared never would have expressed it this way, I could tell that it broke his heart. And, and, and I found out in getting to know Matt that his dad felt like he was just a disappointment. And they had absolutely no relationship at all. And while Matt wouldn't have said it this way at the time, I could tell that he was brokenhearted. It's funny because if you ask Corinne, what she could tell you is that in those early days of teaching, in those early weeks of teaching, I was getting increasingly angry, really, really mad. And if you ask me what I was angry about, what I would tell you would be this darkness. Darkness in this broken world that we live in. See, because the thing is, it wasn't just Matt and Jared. Every single young man and young woman I met in those days, I could tell there was something going on. There was some pain, there was some trauma, there was some suffering. From the loudest class clown to the quietest, most shy student in the entire class. And it made me pretty angry. And even at 23 years old, I realized that it's not as simple, it's not as easy as just blaming somebody, you know? Like looking at Jared's situation and, and pointing the finger at Jared's dad and saying, what kind of man? What kind of man would do that? What kind of man would uh, abandon his kid when his kid is just so little? And even at 23 years old, I knew the answer to that question, assuming that it wasn't rhetorical. What kind of man would do that? Well, I think we all know the answer, right? A man who was abandoned himself, more than likely. Or maybe a man who was raised in an environment of addiction and abuse. 
and never really learned what it was to be a dad. And so we left. And I realized even at 23 years old that while it would have been easy to look at Matt's situation and say, what kind of man would make his son feel like a disappointment? What kind of man would do that? Assuming that that is not a rhetorical question, I think we all know the answer, right? The kind of man who feels like a profound disappointment himself. The kind of man who is so drowning in self-hatred that something that we would consider simple, like telling your kid you love him and you're proud of him, seems overwhelmingly difficult. That's what kind of man. See, even at 23 years old, I, I knew it wasn't quite as simple as just pointing a finger. It doesn't change the fact that we all have responsibility and accountability, but the battle was bigger than a battle between people, that's for sure. See, Matt and Jared reminded me that the reason I was at that little school wasn't primarily to teach classes, to teach grammar, to tell them why the Tree of Versailles led to the outbreak of World War II. I wasn't primarily there to coach basketball. I was primarily there to love little broken-hearted grade eight boys like Matt and Jared, who felt profoundly lost and profoundly unloved. That's why I was there. And over time, what I realized is, really, that's why I was placed on this planet. I, I would suggest that the same is true for you. That there really is no higher calling there really is no greater aspiration. There really is no bigger deal than that, to love the lost and the lonely, the hurting and the helpless, the broken and the bruised. Sometimes when you walk in here to Southside Church and they give you a cup of coffee, they'll stamp it at times. I don't know if they did today, but it'll say, be kind, be kind. And, and, I, and I guess I should tell you, where that comes from. That, that, that's a statement of anger, by the way. That, that statement that you get on your coffee cup sometimes that says, be kind, that, that's an angry statement. It comes from a quote. Philo of Alexandria said this, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. There's this old song, and there's a lyric from it that comes to my mind once in a while. It says this, we're gonna kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. That's an angry statement. Be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle is an angry statement. That you're angry enough at the darkness to decide, you know what, I'm gonna do something about it. It's funny though, I noticed something teaching school. There's not a lot of rewards. There's not a lot of accolades. There's not a lot of recognition for loving the Matts and the Jarrett's of the world. Like when I was teaching school, I got awards sometimes when the team that I was coaching won a championship. I got recognition when the History 12 class that I taught kept scoring the highest average on the provincial exam. I got accolades when I was vice principal of the secondary school and we were named the number one academic school in the Fraser Valley, but not once, not once, not once. Did I get an award? Did I get applause? Did I get recognition? For loving the Matson, the Jareds, and the kids like them. Be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. That's an angry statement. 
to get angry enough at the darkness that you decide you're gonna kick it until it bleeds daylight. That's an angry statement. See, we're preaching our way through Proverbs. And what I wanna suggest to you today is that anger is a good thing. Proverbs 14, 29 says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Ephesians 4 takes it one step further. Listen, Ephesians 4 says this, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but in your anger do not sin. See, improper anger is wrong, but so is the absence of anger. John Chrysostom says this, he that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. You and I were created in the image of God and God gets angry. Becky Pippert says this, think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. Human love here offers a true analogy. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Similarly, if I, a flawed, narcissistic, sinful woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them? God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the inside of the human race he loves with his whole being. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, love the sin or sorry, love the sinner. Some people do. Love the sinner, hate the sin, that's God. One of the shortest verses in the Bible is John 14, verse six. It says this, Jesus wept. See what happens is Jesus walks into this little town called Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. And in, in Bethany, one of his best buddies, Lazarus, is dead. He's been dead for four days and he's already in the tomb and Jesus arrives at the tomb and, and, and he looks around and it says Jesus wept as he looked around. But the translation infers that he wept out of anger. H have you ever been so angry that you cried? That was Jesus that day. He was angry at the darkness. He was angry at the despair as he looked at all those grieving people. He was angry at the tears. He was angry at the pain and the suffering. He was angry at death. How angry, you ask? Oh, so angry that he decided to do something about it. See, just days later, Jesus walked through that little town called Bethany, and he walked to Jerusalem. And Jesus died and he rose again. And when he did so, he kicked the darkness until it bled daylight. He died so you and I can be forgiven. He, he rose again so that we don't have to settle for mere existence, 
so that we can actually live, be fully, completely, totally alive today, tomorrow, and forever. That's the plan. That's the promise. That much like that day in Bethany when Jesus wept, he called Lazarus out of the tomb and he made him fully, completely, and totally alive. That's his plan for you. Jesus was angry at the darkness to do something about it. I would suggest for you and me, we ought to be the same way. So there's three things I wanna do with your anger, with my anger today. I wanna analyze it, I wanna alter it, and I wanna act on it. So number one, I want us to analyze our anger. I want us to analyze our anger. It's a difficult thing for some of us to do because if I look back in my life, there's times when my anger was incredibly destructive. And so for decades now, I've found the most preferable thing at times just to pretend I'm not angry. A couple years ago, my kids came to me and they said, hey, there's something that you do all the time and you don't even know it. I said, oh, really, what is that? They said, when we're driving with you and someone on the road makes you angry, you do the same thing every time. And, and I'm like, well, what is that? They're like, you start to whistle. I'm like, no, I don't. They're all like, yeah, you do. Think about it. I'm like, yeah, I actually do. You know, just whistle. Everything's good here. You know, I'm having a great day. I'm just whistling. I don't feel like driving a tire iron through that guy's windshield at all. Not at all. Life is so good right now. Uh, uh, what I want to suggest is it's probably not a great way to deal with your anger. Whistling your way through your anger is probably not preferable. Now, if you're new to Southside, you're joining us online or in person, I wanna say welcome, and I'm about to give you something. This is worth the price of admission, what I'm about to tell you, okay? What, what, how much did it cost to get in? Exactly, okay, so here, here it is. Here it is. Anger, you probably already know this, but maybe you forgot. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion, so you should analyze it. In other words, it comes from somewhere. Where does your anger come from? You should analyze that. Is it insecurity? I was talking to you last week a little bit about how when I was 19 in the middle of the night in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I came to the end of myself. And I cried out to Jesus and I put my faith in Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, I went from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. But it's probably important to note that when I mentioned that I came to the end of myself, what I mean by that is I was broken and lost. Like I was insecure and I was hurt and I was lonely and I was afraid. And what I wanna to suggest to you is that when you put your faith in Jesus, in my experience anyways, all that brokenness doesn't just go away. I go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, but the rest of my life will be walking step by step so that actual aliveness inside of me can manifest itself in my life. And that's a journey, man. So I struggled greatly with insecurity. I met Jesus at 19 years old. I was in university. I got really, really good grades, and that validated me. And near the end of my time in university, I became a waiter. Oh my, did I make a lot of money waitering. A lot. And that validated me. 
And after I became a waiter, I became a teacher and a coach. And I got applause and I got recognition and that validated me so much so, in fact, that what I thought was like, oh man, I'm glad I put that insecurity thing behind me. You know, good to get rid of that. And then God said, hey, instead of being a teacher and a coach, you need to become a youth pastor instead. Not a lot of external validation in youth pastoring. Not a lot of trophies. Not always a lot of applause. And guess what I realized? That insecurity that I thought was gone, oh, it was back. In fact, it had never left. I remember in my early days of youth pastoring, I preached a lot on Sundays. And I would often get called to do the hosting job, which is to give announcements. And I remember one particular moment. This came to me just over a month ago as leading up to Christmas of 2023. Our whole family was in the living room and this moment came to me. What I remember is on a particular Sunday, I gave the announcements. And when church was over, I got into the car with one of my kids and we're driving home. And I say to one of my kids, I said this, hey, what did you think of church today? Okay? And they said, it was really good except for the announcements. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because you know what they were trying to do? Bond. No, no, honestly. Just, just a little bit of joking around. Here's the issue. I was really insecure. And so I got really, really angry. I didn't yell and scream, but I said stuff. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. People who build up and tear down. People who encourage and discourage, it's really sad to me that you're one of the people that likes to tear down and discourage other people. I'm telling you, all they were trying to do was just have a moment with their dad. And so just before Christmas, that came to me and I looked at the kid who was driving with me that day and I said, hey man, you probably don't remember this, but we were driving home from church one day and he looked at me and he said, oh, I remember. I've never forgotten that. And I had a chance to say, man, I'm so incredibly sorry. Anger is a secondary emotion. What's behind your anger? It's worth asking. Is it hurt? Again, leading up to Christmas, last year, I was trying to watch the Edmonton Oilers games and they kept on putting this stupid Coca-Cola commercial on them. Listen to this. This is the Coca-Cola commercial they had. Santa is driving a Coca-Cola semi-truck. No, I'm serious. And he's got a young man in the semi-truck with him, and he drops this young man off at his family's place. Okay? And, and, and you can tell they weren't expecting this kid to make it home for Christmas, but he did. And they open the door, and everyone's so happy. And every time I watch that stupid commercial, I'm bawling. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on with you? Is it hurt? Is it, is it regret? Is it shame? Is it scars? Is it trauma? Is it fear? If anger is a secondary emotion, and it is, it would be well worth your while to avoid whistling your way past it and look at it. In fact, I'd like to ask you to consider this week in your small group, take some time and talk to each other. What is it? What is behind my anger? Man, it's a good discussion to have. And if it's hurt, if it's insecurity, whatever it is, let's start moving. Let's start moving. The truth will set you free. Let's start moving towards healing. Let's start moving towards something better.
And if at the end of it you realize, man, the last two times I got angry was because they didn't put enough mayonnaise on my junior chicken or I didn't get enough ketchup on my JBC, okay, okay, we got a little bit of work to do, okay? But the truth will set you free. What is behind your anger? Once you do that, you can move from analyze to alter. Change your anger. There's kind of three ways we can deal with anger. There's two that are wrong and one that's right. The two wrong ones are to be passive or to be vindictive. The one right one is to be effective. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine that you have a teenage son, and this is gonna shock some of you, but sometimes when you have teenage sons, they say mean stuff, okay? So let's imagine that your teenage kid says something to you one day, like, I hate you. I don't wanna be here anymore. I don't want anything to do with you. Whatever it is, doesn't really matter. You got one of three ways you can respond. Okay, the first wrong way is you can be passive. You can be passive. Or you can be Mike Mattis driving down the road whistling, pretending that didn't, that, what? That didn't happen. You can be passive. You, 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 something subconsciously inside of you can say, oh man, that, that dude's scary. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. You can be passive. It's funny in our culture too, because sometimes we look at passive, passive people and we go, man, that guy's so chill. She's so chill, right? And, and, and we look at that as a compliment. However, it is not, because another word for passive would be this, indifferent. We read a quote earlier which said, indifference is the ultimate expression of hate. Probably not good. So, so the first wrong way you can deal with your anger is by being passive. The second wrong way is being vindictive. Vindictive, in some ways, is the opposite of passive. You direct your anger at the person. You're not mad at the darkness, you're mad at them, and they're going to pay. Often vindictive anger is explosive and sudden in nature. Proverbs 19, 19 says this, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty, rescue them, and you will have to do it again. I just wanna talk about that for a second, because here's the thing. Um, Vindictive people, there was an issue that set them off, and that issue might be worth dealing with, and now we're not going to at all. You know why we're not gonna deal with the issue that led to the anger? Is because the anger is so much bigger than the issue that we lost the issue a long time ago. Does that make sense? So whatever the issue was, that's long gone. Anger at that level is also self-perpetuating, right? You're in the cereal aisle with your spouse and you really wanna get Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you know? And she says no and you throw a hissy fit, you know, you're throwing cornflakes all over the place, right? And, and, and so uh, seven seconds after that happens, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you gotta be kidding me. That was really dumb. And so what you do sometimes, what I do sometimes is what? You stay angry. Why? Because you don't want to talk about the fact that you just threw cornflakes all over Save On Foods. <laughs> Vindictive anger, you're going to make them pay. It's explosive and sudden in nature, usually, not always. Some people do it differently. Some people direct their vindictive anger this way. They, they in the moment, they're fine, but now they're going to calculate a way to get you. Can't really tell from the outside, but they got a plan and they're gonna make you pay. For other people, it's different. They're just gonna not talk to you for the next year and a half. They're gonna give you the silent treatment. It's vindictive. It's incredibly destructive. If you're wondering what's wrong with politics today, in the world today, it's vindictive anger. Issues are long gone, are you kidding me? The issues are long gone. 
It's now completely personal. I'm going to make you pay. You won't believe this, but there was many, many churches over the last four or five years that split, that no longer exist. You know why? They split over an eight-inch piece of cloth called a mask, and they lost the issue, and it became personal, and it became vindictive. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, darkness doesn't drive out darkness, only light can do that. So you can be passive, you can be vindictive, or you can be effective, effective. Here's the point about effective anger. Effective anger isn't passive. In other words, you look at the situation. Your son has lost his mind and and said something. You look at that and you go, okay, this is serious. Like something's going on here. There's darkness happening here. And then you decide to take action. But unlike the vindictive person, if you discipline, if there are consequences, they're not meant to hurt, they're meant to love. They're meant to help. Does that make sense? Effective anger. So first you analyze. If anger is a secondary emotion, what's leading to my anger? Then you alter it. You say no to passive anger. You say no to vindictive anger, but instead you choose to be effective, which brings me to my third and final point. Then you act on it. Then you act on it. I told you earlier about those two little grade eight wingnuts, you know, Matt and Jared. When I got to know them, it made me angry. It made me angry enough to act. It made me angry enough that even as a very, very, very task-driven person, I responded by trying my best to be kind, knowing that everyone I met was fighting a great battle It made me angry enough to decide that I was going to try in my, to the best of my ability to kick the darkness until it bled daylight. I should probably tell you something. This church, Southside Church, we're built on anger. In so many ways, anger is the foundation of this church. You should know that. See, at a certain point, there was a big group of us and we looked around and we decided darkness isn't okay. Brokenness isn't okay. Addiction isn't okay. Abuse isn't okay. Loneliness and isolation isn't okay. We got so angry about it, in fact, that we decided to do something about it. We decided to preach Jesus. Because we know that Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the restorer. Jesus is hope. Jesus is truth. Jesus is life. Jesus is peace. Jesus is forgiveness. Jesus is a new start. So we decided that we were gonna preach Jesus in the words that we say, but maybe even more in the lives that we live, in the things that we do. If you're joining us online or in person and you're kind of brand new to the Southside experience and maybe you say, man, I, I don't believe anything that you believe. I know one thing that you probably figured out already about Southside Church. You probably figured out, number one, that whether or not you believe what we believe, you're pretty glad this church exists. Well, thank you so much for that. We decided a long time ago that we were angry enough to be generous. 
we are angry enough to look around instead of asking ourselves, what's this church for? What's this church for? What's this church for? One day we looked around at all the darkness and we said, oh, I know what we're for. We're for the city. And we're not just gonna talk like it. We're gonna act like it. So thank you for noticing that. One other thing that maybe you noticed is this. You might not believe anything that we believe, but you probably come to the conclusion that we really do believe it. Thank you so much. Because you know what we do? We really do believe it. In our own imperfect way, we've come to this conclusion that Jesus is the answer. And that through him, we really can kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And through his strength, we really can be kind, knowing that everyone we meet is fighting a great battle. That's just who we are. It's a bunch of ordinary people who decided that we were angry enough to act. You know, Dave was already talking about it, that in, in two weeks, we're launching a third service. We're starting off at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Oh, you morning people are just so giddy about it. You have any idea what time I'm gonna have to cold plunge Sunday morning to get ready for that 8 a.m. service? In fact, you will know. I'm gonna get your phone number. I'm gonna call you Sunday morning. <laughs> and all the early morning people are like, I've already been up for an hour by that point, Mike. <laughs> No, why, why are we doing that? Why are we adding a third service? Oh, it's really simple, because we're angry. We're angry, and, and what we notice is that there's so many broken people in this world, you know? I.e., like all of us. So many hurting people. And, and, and we've seen that, like, every single week, more and more people are walking through those doors. More and more little kids are walking through the doors of Southside Kids. And what's happening so often is they're meeting Jesus. And they go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive and everything starts to change, you know? Their, their life changes, but then their marriage changes. Their, their family changes, their, their friendships change. And we just wanna always make sure that we're making room for more. So our next step of expansion, it's not our last step of expansion, but our next step of expansion is to add that third service. So as Dave already mentioned, if you're willing to roll back, like if you're 9.30, ride or die, and that's just the perfect, you invite all your friends and that's the service they come to, stay at 9.30. But if you're like, no, it's like, flip a coin. 8 a.m., 9.30, either one, choose the 8 a.m. Choose the 8 a.m. We just wanna make room for more. And if normally 11.15 is your service, and you're 11.15, ride or die, that's when all your friends come, that's when you invite them to, hey, stay there, that's awesome. But if you flip a coin, then roll back. Roll back to 9.30 if you can. And if you wanna jump from the 11.15 all the way to the 8 a.m., good for you, that's awesome. It's not our last step of expansion, but it's our next step. We're always gonna push, you know? Because time's short. I remember Matt and Jared, I was close to them all the way through the end of high school. And even after they graduated, they would come see me from time to time. I would run into them, just these amazing young men. It's so funny to watch them go from here to up here, taller than me, you know? And then one day I got, I got a call that Jared had been driving from Chilliwack to Calgary all by himself and near Banff, he got in a car accident and he died. 
And in that moment, everything goes real quiet. Everything goes real still, you know? And all the stuff that seemed to matter so much one minute ago, it just doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. And when I look back at those years, man, I wasn't perfect, but I'll tell you what, I'm glad. I'm glad I invested. And at the beginning of this sermon, I said to you, man, I, I wanna make you angry. I hope I did. I hope I did. Because time is short and we need to act. Let's pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just wanna ask you a simple question. What's going on inside of you? Maybe as I ask that question, what makes you angry? you would say that the people around you don't even know you're angry, but you know you're angry, so what's causing it? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you lost? Are you lonely? Are you insecure? Here's what I know, that Jesus came to bring light into your darkness. That's why he came, that's why he died, that's why he rose again. He died so you can get past your past. Your sins can be forgiven, your hurts can be healed. He rose again so that you can not simply settle for existence, but live, 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 be fully alive today, tomorrow, and forever. That's the plan. It all starts by accepting the gift that he already purchased for you through his death and resurrection. It's called salvation, and it's beautiful. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is your day, today is the day you want to accept what Jesus did for you, can you raise your hand nice and high right now? Because I want to pray for you. If you're watching online, it's safe to do so. I'd love it if you would raise your hand also. Amazing, you can put your hands down, it's amazing. If you just raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud. I invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came to kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Thank you for your light, thank you for your hope, thank you for your strength, thank you for life. I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins and begin to heal my hurts. I thank you that not only did you die for me, but you rose again for me. So I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you, to follow you one next step at a time, that this spiritual aliveness inside of me would make its way out into my life. I pray this in your name. Amen, amen. Let's celebrate, you guys. <clears throat> so the band's going to play and we're gonna baptize people in two tanks, so you really gotta multitask because you're gonna be singing, you're gonna be cheering, it's gonna be so amazing. I wanna to talk to you quickly about what baptism is all about. Baptism is just an act of humility that says this, whatever's going on inside of me, whether that's hurt or insecurity or, or, or regret, whatever's going on, you come to a point when you get baptized that you say, Jesus, I can't deal with it on my own. I need your help, I need your strength. And, and, and so you go under the water and, and, and it's this symbolic moment that says every, all of that is washed away and I'm made new. Yeah, amen. So, if you are not signed up to get baptized, but today's your day, if you have not yet been baptized as a believer, man, I'll, I wanna urge you, today is your day. Today is your next step. It's such a beautiful, amazing thing. That's how it works, right? You put your faith in Jesus and you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive and then that aliveness works its way out in your life one step at 
a time. So as you take your step, if, as you take the step of baptism today, what's gonna happen is you're gonna become more alive. So even if you haven't signed up, I'm gonna be standing right over there. Everyone's gonna be standing up, walking around here. No one's gonna notice you. You're just gonna walk up and say, hey, today's my day, can I get baptized? And I'm gonna ask you a couple simple questions and then we're gonna dunk you. And I don't know what your past is like. I know what mine was like, so I had to be held under for like four or five minutes when I got baptized. I'm not sure how that's gonna work for you. No, I'm kidding. You say, oh, I can't get baptized today, Mike, because I don't have a towel. We have towels. Well, I don't have a change of clothes. We have change of clothes. I don't have hair gel. We got dippity-doo like you would not believe. Anything that you could possibly need to get baptized, we don't want anything to hinder you taking that step into the life you were created to live. Make sense? Okay, let's stand and the band's gonna play. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.